0: The sponsor for this episode is Whoop. If you haven't heard of Whoop, it is a fitness tracker that provides personalized daily insight into recovery, strain, and sleep. Uh, And this has provided some really cool actionable data. I've been using it personally. There's a ton of PGA Tour players that are using it. You've probably seen Justin Thomas, Roy McElroy, and others wearing it. Um, And here's kind of what I take away the most is, is number one, sleep and recovery. So every morning, you can uh, look at your phone, go into the app, look at the data, and it'll tell you kind of how your recovery was. Are you ready to take on a lot of strain that day? Should you relax a little bit more and make take really better actions based on how your body is doing? And then strain, this will let you know of how hard is your body actually working. Is that workout that you're doing, is there enough strain? Is there not enough? And look at all those different things. Um, In the golf context, uh, just the other day, really interesting. I found that playing nine holes walking was the same amount of strain as playing 18 holes riding in a cart. There's so many good things from Whoop. You should check it out. We got 15% off your Whoop membership code GSL, 15% off GSL. Head over to whoop.com and check that out. Definitely recommend picking one up. Welcome back to our second episode with Gal Ziv, a great researcher out of Tel Aviv. We are today looking at gaze behaviors and quiet eye. And uh, I I think this is a very practical episode for a lot of people listening. If you haven't heard of quiet eye, it can have a a big impact on your putting and, and really gives you something to potentially focus on if you feel scattered or you don't quite know what you should be thinking about or what you should be doing during putting the action itself so quiet eye is a really good topic to dive into and we have some really practical kind of insights a step-by-step training process and then insights of, of what you can go do after listening to this so great episode appreciate the time from gall and if you didn't listen to last week's make sure to head over and check that out thanks
1: in general and just basically everything you do with your eyes in order to perceive information from the environment. And there are specific types of gaze behavior that are relevant to, to both. The first and probably the most known is really the quiet eye. The quiet eye, it was defined by uh, Professor John Vickers from Canada. And this is a, basically the final fixation on a specific area in your visual field before a critical movement. In golf, it would be the fixation on the ball before you start your putting stroke, for example. And what has been found over and over again, and this is a rather robust finding, and more robust I think that the findings that have immense expectancies right now, that experts have longer, quiet eyes, which means that they fixing the goal ball for a longer duration before they putt, before they start moving their hands backwards, before they start the tax and they maintain it. It starts earlier, it is maintained longer. At the same time, if you look at successful putts versus unsuccessful putts, you will see that during successful putts, this quiet duration is longer compared to unsuccessful putts. And the nice thing about the quiet eye, and this is perhaps the most important thing right now, is that it is trainable. Because if we would have found that experts have a longer quiet eye duration, or that the quiet eye duration is longer during successful months. But then we would go ahead and try to teach novices or intermediates this quiet eye. And we wouldn't be able to, it wouldn't give us a lot of, it wouldn't help us a lot. In almost all the studies on this topic, the quiet eye is trainable. And when you train individuals when they putt specifically for maintaining this quiet eye duration on the golf ball as they putt, you make them better. So that's like a general uh, overview. And in the studies on this, there's really uh, something you can use. I mean, the paper, the the review paper we wrote uh, wrote about gaze behavior in golf. There's a table, it's table two over, the, over there that is a summary of how you should approach the training of the choir.
0: Would you mind running through that by chance? Could it, could we talk through talk through that yeah. table?
1: Yeah. So if you look at uh, uh, compared to the regular training, which is technical training really, and every coach might do it, you know, differently a little bit, but basically it's about stance and how you hold the the, the, the pattern and everything. So here, basically the. Uh, there are two, I guess, pre-training steps that you can use first, but th- those pre-training steps are relevant if you happen to have an eye tracker. If you have an eye tracker, you can show the person a video of a, uh, an expert golfer with, an op- with optimal gaze behavior that, that you recorded, and then the person can see where they're supposed to look. Because with an eye tracker, basically what you see is some kind of a reticle that represents the eyes of the person you're recording these eye movements, and you, you can see it really well. Then you can record the eye movements of the trainee of the golfer you are training, to see his or her own gaze behavior. This can be really helpful, but eye tracking is it's still somewhat expensive, although it's much cheaper than it is. For the training itself, so you tell the person to assume the stance and, and, and make sure that, he, that his gaze is located on the ball or the back of the ball. Then okay, he sets up at your ready position and then he fixes his gaze on the hole. And usually we say that he, he can make somewhere between one to three fixation towards the hole and back when he's aiming. And after he's satisfied with his aim, he needs to fixate ball. That's the final fixation. It fixates the ball. And this fixation should be about two to three seconds. And two to three seconds is a long time. It it can seem like a long time where you're just standing there and staring at the ball. While you putt, you avoid looking at the club head. You look only at the ball. Your eyes are fixated and don't move from the ball throughout the putt. And importantly, it should remain on the green under the, the location where the ball was, even after your golf club contacted the ball for about another third of a second, 300 milliseconds. So, what most people do is once they, they hit the ball, they immediately turn their eyes towards the hole. And that's intuitive and you know, it makes perfect sense for people. But what happens, what we think happens, is that if you moved your eyes from the ball 300 seconds before your club hit it, Then your brain was busy at planning your head movement and following the ball when it was supposed to be busy in making sure that your golf club hits the ball in the exact location, direction, velocity that you intended. So that's basically the the, the steps that you can use for uh, training.
0: Gotcha. Why do you guys think it's important for those eyes to be so still? to be so focused on the back of the ball? Why do you think that's effective?
1: Okay, so there are, there's more than one theory or hypothesis behind it. The first one, you can call it the pre-programming uh, hypothesis, which means that once, you're, once your eyes are fixated on the ball, before you start moving, you give your brain the time to calculate and to plan the correct movement. That's one option. The second option is that during the putt, once you started moving, this is called online control. Let's say you started moving, you programmed your putt, you know what you're supposed to do, and then you start moving your club, your golf club backwards, and something is not exactly what you, like, what you wanted. You still have time to correct it. If your attention is on the ball, you, have, you still have time to, to tweak a little bit, to make small adjustments to your club while it's in the backstroke and in the, in the forward stroke, another hypothesis, which was shown by a researcher named Bostrom, is that it's called the inhibition hypothesis. When you're standing and uh, planning your pot, there are many options for speed, direction, you know, whatever. There's a hypothesis that suggests that the quiet eye time gives you the time you need to pick out of all your options, the one that you think is optimal, that will actually make it and then get the ball inside the the hole. What we need to do now, and there's, I think, at least one study that I know of that tried to do it and found something interesting, is start doing the gaze behavior in combination with uh, measuring or recording EEG. And if you record the electricity from the skull, then you can find certain potentials, certain electrical potentials in your brain that are related to planning, that are related uh, to attention and stuff like that. I think that if we we'll do more of those, we can learn more about the underlying mechanisms that explain why the quiet eye works. So, so far we have a few theories about it.
0: Does this theory, again, I guess kind of looking at a broader scale, does this apply potentially throughout the rest of the golf game with other clubs, driver, iron? Any insight there, or is this just putting
1: right now? All we know about is putting, and uh, if, if I look at some things that are missing from the literature involved, is gay behavior doing the you know the larger swings, the driving, and stuff like that. And theoretically speaking, there's no reason why it should differ much uh, because if you drive, you, you should look at the ball anyway, and I don't think that. Uh, golfers look somewhere else rather, other than the ball when they drive. It doesn't make uh, much uh, much uh, sense. So it should work, but the data is not there. And um, as a researcher, I like to stick with the data that, uh, that I have. And I have to remind you another thing, that when we talk about transfer of learning, we often find that people are not very good at transferring something from one skill to another. So just because you're doing well in putting doesn't mean that you're doing very well in you know, driving or vice versa. But the concept of the eye has been shown to work in various domains, in various skills, in basketball free throw, in dart throwing, in golf, and in many other domains, that there is really no reason to think that it will be different in other types of swings and golf.
0: So that's gaze behavior, you know, like during the action itself. Have you looked at all at like, before you take the action as in, I feel like somewhere along the way I heard about, you know, a, a more skilled golfer will, you know, scan the green uh, in a more systematic manner where, you know, someone with less skills, is more random in how their eyes are looking at the green to decipher all the information and, you know, try to understand that. Have you looked at that at all or any insight there?
1: Yeah, so I think that this is really, and in our review, we discussed this, that there's not enough information about slopes and about scanning. Because this is, we're talking about a different thing. If we talk about the quiet eye, is a very specific fixation on the eyes of the bone. But before the pot, you're supposed to scan the green and to see whether you know, it's sloped to the right, to the left, to the right, and usually a combination right, left, forward, backwards. And unfortunately, we don't know a lot about that. I, we found only three studies on slope, and the results are not always consistent between the gaze behavior when you look at slopes and the performance later. And the question that you can ask is, how should you scan it? So, because I, I've watched you know videos and TV live uh, live TV on PGA. Some people look from the back of the ball and then they go to the other side, right, behind the hole, to try to, to, to find a better and a better assessment, a better assessment of the of the slope. What we do know is experts are able to aim better after they scan. Okay? but it's only like one study and it wasn't exactly statistically significant. There are differences, but we don't know enough. I wish that we would, we should make an effort to study more the way experts compared to novices scan the slope and how it affects their ability to be more accurate.
0: Yeah. It's very interesting because everyone, it seems even at a, at a high level, there are similarities, but there are also differences. So it would be really interesting to see, you know, what actually matters. I think that'd be some fascinating research and how people, you know, experts and novices, what the differences are and similarities, and how they, how they read the green, you know, and, and gather all that data. It's yeah. Super interesting.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, and it's, it's and it's not easy because sometimes I know that many people misread the slope, and you can be, you know, you can be the best pattern ever with in your ability to contact the ball at the exact velocity and in the exact uh, direction that you want, but if you misread the slope, it's not going to help you at all. So it's a, you have to combine both the ability to perceive the slope and then, of course, the motor skill to perform you know, what you're trying to perform well, what you plan. This is one thing that is really lacking in the literature right now. And you know what? It also matters or the puck itself, because the instructions I just told you about, that you start by looking at the ball and then you look at the hole for maybe between one and three times, when there's a slope, you might need to look somewhere else rather than just the ball and the hole, maybe to the top of the slope. Maybe you aim to, to the location of the slope that you want your ball to reach. Okay. And Most research, all research, basically, generally, with the quiet eye, has been conducted on a flat surface. And this is not usually the case I, you know, I'm not, not a golfer and I haven't been watching golf a lot, but every time I do watch it, more often than not, there is a slope to take into account. And then we might have to change the instruction. For example, even example. So when you look at the ball in the hole, when you have, every time you try to put a ball on a flat surface, you have really uh, two places in your visual field that are important, the ball and the hole. Most of the time, you can't look at both of them at once. This means that when you look at at the ball, you should retain in memory where the hole was, how far it was, and what the direction between you and the hole is. If you look, for example, at billiards, you have three areas that are interesting. One is really the pocket at you know, the end of the table, the strike ball or the, or the colored ball, whichever you're trying to, to beat, and the white ball that you're hitting. So there's, there are three areas, and you should try to look at all of them when you plan. At the end, you will look at the ball. This is the quiet line. Once you figure out what you're doing, once you figure out where everything is and where you should aim and how fast your ball should go, all you have to do is maintain a quiet eye on the ball that you're hitting. In the golf ball, it's the golf ball, and in the billiards, it's the white ball that your, uh, that your uh, pool stick is going is to hit. Because nothing else changes, nothing moves. This is the, this is the going back to the closed self paced skill. So if nothing moves and you plan correctly, then you should put all your concentration, all your attention in performing what you plan to do. In order to do that, you have to look at the location where the action is, which is the ball you're trying to hit. And when I look at slopes, then again, similar to billiard, we might have a situation where during the uh, planning stage, you might have to look at your ball, at the hole, and in a specific location on the slope, maybe the top of the slope. And after you looked at all these locations, you're gonna get your eyes back to the ball, and of course, from there, it's the same uh, the quiet.
0: So, if someone's listening to this and they're you know they they got this basic principle of quiet eye of, of I need to look at the kind of focus on the ball you know for for two or three seconds and then a little bit after I hit it as well. That's maybe the general thing they're taking away, right? Any kind of specific instruction for them? You know, is this easy for people to pick up? Is this challenging? I'd imagine a lot of people are going to do this for like one or two days and then forget (laughs) to do it (laughs) as well, carrying forward, right? So any kind of suggestions for somebody that just listened to this and and is going to try this out on how to, how to make this stick and kind of what to expect?
1: Yeah. So in our studies with complete novices, we actually, before, before, you know, COVID-19 hit us, we were in the middle of the study and we had to stop it. uh, you know, with the lab closed. But uh, we have a study where we actually trained people to maintain their eyes on the ball for these three, two and three seconds, complete notices. And I can tell you that it wasn't easy at the beginning because it's a long time to just, it seems like nothing. It's not two or three seconds. But after, I don't know, 10, 20 repetitions, they actually pick it up. So it's not that difficult to, to pick up. I think that if you do it long enough, you'll see the results. And once you see the results, it'll be easier for you to continue doing it. And for you to see the results, you have to train correctly. It's not going to help you. I doubt that it will help you from parts from, uh, I don't know, 50 centimeters or from one meter. Okay? You probably don't need that. But from parts from two meters, three meters, four meters, yes and it'll help and you'll start noticing you'll start and regardless of this specific strategy for every learning strategy that you use you should maintain a journal statistics of your training and see whether it helps you or not see if you're able to make more butts while using it and be patient because many times it's not going to take you know it's, it's not going to happen in a day usually you'll, but you'll see it gradually improving
0: perfect perfect well, hey, I think I learned a lot. Anything else? Or, or you feel like we covered the main points there of those, those two topics?
1: Yeah, I think we covered the main points. I, I would say just, just you know, a general comment. I think I said it at the beginning that, again, human behavior is really complex and affected by many variables. We talked here about you know, two variables. We talked about gaze and we talked about enhanced expectancy there are many more things that you can manipulate in training or use as a learning strategy. And like There's something like autonomy support, try to let the individual yeah. decide the practice order, and many other things that you can use, contextual like interference, which we mentioned when we talked about the challenge point. And especially in golf, which is an individual game, I think that the, the practitioner should understand out of all the learning strategies, which have the best you know, evidence, evidence-based information in the literature, and then try to choose the ones that might work best for the specific individual who is studying under him. It's never you know, one size fits all. We're all different. So that, that would be the main thing that, uh, that, that, that I would suggest. Take the best evidence-based knowledge that you can, and then out of this knowledge, pick the things that you think might work for your specific student. And if you see that something doesn't work, change it, do something else.